Amen. We're going tonight to the book of Titus chapter 2. I would like to read to you our two verses from our Focus 52, if I may. Titus chapter number 2. I'm glad to be a part of an apostolic church. Amen. Last Wednesday night, it was kind of a shifting in the teaching that led us to quite uh, a convicting move of God to be sure that we are counted worthy to escape the things that are to come. And uh, I certainly do hope that someone last week set your sail into the wind and at least confirmed or reaffirmed that you didn't start to quit, you started to finish. Amen. Amen. The book of Titus, chapter number 2. We're going to read verse 12 and 13 to all of our guests that are here tonight. We honor each and every one of you and thank you for those that have joined us online tonight. We're blessed to have you with us. Amen. If you're in the book of Titus chapter 2, say amen. amen. Verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly when we get to heaven. That must have been NIV. Where does it say that we're to live godly? Where does it say to do righteous in this world, in this present world? Do you mean it's possible to be righteous and holy before God in this present world? It is. It is possible. To deny yourself, deny your flesh, take up your cross and follow him, to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, and to live soberly. And the the secret, I believe, to making this, it's never easy, it's the greatest battle you'll fight, but to make it a little easier for us, the secret to that is found in verse 13. It says, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. How do I live godly and deny ungodliness in my life and righteously? Well, for one thing, you've got to get your eyes off of this world. And you've got to start looking and keep looking for that blessed hope. Aren't you thankful for that hope tonight? Amen. Praise God. I want to talk to you tonight about the blessed hope. You may be seated in Jesus' name. This letter finds us with an understanding that with the Apostle Paul's widespread travels and his constant evangelizing, with his passion for truth and his undying fervor for revival, his ministry had absolutely triggered a need in the early apostolic movement for spiritual leadership, for people who were not detoured by fear because we, we believe that this, this letter was written somewhere around 63, 64 A.D. These were trying times. And Paul was looking for somebody that could lead with spirituality and with a heart that couldn't care about superficial things, but rather could, could lead with conviction. Now, to consider what he was asking for, you have to consider who the role model was of these people that he was leading. Who was he discipling? Who was it that was doing the discipling? So we're looking at a man who is saying, now, boys, I've been beat half to death, left for dead, They actually thought I was dead, took me outside the city, left me there, and I got back up and went in and preached. And that's what I want you to do. He wasn't asking them to go take the little church that that was struggling and seeing if you could take five years of your ministry and try to build it up and really get some fellowship going. If you're going to start a building project, be sure it's a fellowship hall and have some good ham salad sandwiches. 
on Sunday nights and get people coming around. That's what we need. No, it was apparent that it would take an increasing number of competent individuals who could shepherd God's growing flock with integrity and with passion. Men that were willing to examine their hearts, count the cost, find out how much it was worth to them. They weren't in it for the debate of what they thought was necessary or unnecessary. And they weren't sitting down at tables of discussion with Paul saying, well, do you think this is necessary for me to go to heaven? Do you think I have to do this to go to heaven? No, they were laying their life down and saying, we've got to go into these cities where lives have been touched and established. And now we've got to begin to order them in apostolic power and demonstration and authority and godliness and holiness. And the book of Titus is nothing but a short few chapters of a letter that's written to one of these leaders. His name is Titus that the book is written after because that's who Paul wrote it to. And according to chapter 1 and verse 4 of Titus, we find that uh, Titus is more than likely a direct disciple, someone that had been converted by the ministry of the Apostle Paul. For in the fourth verse of the first chapter, he said, you are my own son after the common faith. So I believe that what this means is at some point he came across this young man and he saw potential in him and he uh, begins to work with him. And as a matter of fact, if you read in 2 Timothy uh, and in Galatians the second chapter, 2 Timothy 4 and, and Galatians chapter 2, you'll discover that Titus was a frequent tra- traveling partner with Paul. So it wasn't like he was coming in blindly and that uh, he didn't just know what he was getting into, but he had traveled with Paul and he had not just seen Paul preach the conferences, but he had been there when the conference was over and the lights were down and they were moving along and walking and on boats and And uh, traveling by boat and traveling by horseback and whatever it cost them. And Titus had been there. And it did not detour Titus. He wasn't in any hurry to stop and slow down. I wonder what would happen in this modern time in which we live. If the first thoughts about ministry was not what's in it for me. And how many pulpits I'll climb into. And how many lights will be shed on me. And how many people will see me and how many people will know me but rather somebody that would look at the life of an apostle like Paul and say sir I've been with you when they came in and shut you down and put you in prison but something got a hold of you and you said that you may be bound in chains but that the word of God is not bound in chains I know that in the United States of America it's hard for you and I to imagine something that feels uh, on this measure like this but can I tell you that there very well could be a day that prison ministry is not on a volunteer status where we walk in and they close the gate behind us and allow us to leave that night but I believe that if the Lord withholds his coming there could be a day that apostolic ministry will not transpire in the prisons by the choice of a local assembly but rather by the choice of men and women that refuse to be silenced by the political powers of this world and by the powers of darkness that say do not preach anymore in his name yet we continue to lift our voice and say we don't preach because it's a choice we preach because we have no choice we preach because men are dying without God so we can assume that Titus was traveling with him we can see that he wasn't just one that admired him from a distance but pretty much he jumped in the saddle and rode with him and made it happen and so It appears to be, according to the fifth verse of the first chapter, that at some juncture in in this journeying, that Paul and Titus had come together to the Isle of Crete, and Paul's confidence had grown enough in Titus that he left him behind. And he said, I'm going to go on about my father's business, and I'm going to leave you right here, and I'm going to have you... Uh, bring some things into order. Now, this is in the book. He had come to a place of authority that he felt like there was an apostolic anointing uh, apparently on Titus because he said, I'm not just leaving you here to preach. 
I'm leaving you here to set some things in order. I'm leaving you here to ordain elders. In other words, you're going to begin to set up and establish the structure that will be a lasting structure that when it's all said and done, this is not going to be just about, well, Paul got a burden and came through the Isle of Crete and God did great things and he moved on. Can pastor just be honest with you and tell you tonight, I am so sick of puff revival. I'm so sick of puff ministries. What do you mean, pastor, by puff ministries? I'm talking about they come in like a shining light and, man, they're flashy and they got it all together. And before you know it, puff, they're gone. It's like they come in, just see what they can do, and it's like an abracadabra, hocus pocus. There they are, then they're gone. I'm tired of seeing people that their only desire is to try the newest and latest programs to see how quickly you can grow a church. You're not going to grow a church that's worth anything overnight. Disciples are not made in one Sunday. Disciples are made when apostles can set men in a pulpit and in a city, not just in a church, but in a city, and say, I need you to set some things in order, son. I need you to establish some order in this city, and I need you to start finding some elders that are willing. And then he busts off into it. Man, if you've, if you've got the time to read it, I think you better get on your big boy britches before you really jump off there and start reading exactly what it was. He said, now look. If you're going to ordain elders, I need them to be blameless men. I need them to be men that, that they have one wife. I need, them, I need them to be men that aren't walking around womanizing in and out of marriages, drinking, smoking, cussing, acting foolish, jumping in and out of bed. I don't need them going from church to church. I need some godly people. I need some elders. Listen, I know this world is looking to establish elders that have big tithe checks. They're looking to ordain people that can pay the biggest check to a church and keep it established. But you hear me when I tell you tonight, God is not impressed nor intimidated by the pocketbooks of men. It's a sad, sad shame that you can be ordained in some local churches and in some organizations and in some denominations because you're able to write the biggest check. Paul never mentioned the value of their bank account. He said, I need them to be godly men. I need them to be men that marry a woman and stay with that woman. I need them to be godly men who are blameless. I need them to be men of good report. Can I tell you what the Lord is looking for to establish his church before the coming of the Lord? It has not changed at all. It has not changed since 63 AD. He's looking for men and women that can be godly and do whatever they have to do to be saved and be sure that everybody knows I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. I'm doing it because I love him. I'll give everything to him. He said to him, he said, uh, if he's blameless and has one wife, if he's faithful, his children are faithful and they're not accused of right or unruly. This is pretty tough preaching. I'm going to be honest with you. This kind of teaching is the kind of stuff that most fellows will tiptoe around and just walk away from. He said, uh, a bishop must be blameless. This is verse 7 of chapter 1. As a steward of God. Not self-willed. Listen to this church. I'm leaving you here Titus. To set things in order and establish some elders. I need them blameless. As a steward of God. Not self-willed. Not soon angry. I'll tell you folks. What you date today. You'll be reproducing with tomorrow. I'm so sick of these limp-wristed jellyback preachers saying it's all right if we get social drinking in the church. If God's ever delivered you from alcohol, you'll never be a social drinker. Because one's never enough. There's a statement that 
I believe it was you, Sister Shelley. You and Brother Frank used to say to me when you were talking about your former life before God found you, you would say, one's not enough. And what'd you say? One's too many and a thousand's not enough. Think about that. One's too many and a thousand's not enough. He said, if these people are going to be used in the kingdom of God, they cannot be given to wine. I don't want them to be strikers. I don't want them to be given to filthy lucre. Now, I'm not kidding you folks. This kind of gets tough when you start teaching, preaching. He said, they need to be given to hospitality. I've met some folks that seem to have a pretty decent church and they're good preachers. But they don't understand hospitality. I'm going to pastor you for about 30 seconds right here. And if I hurt your feelings, you probably just need to go to the prayer room. But I'm going to tell you folks, I want you to hear your pastor well. If you can walk past another apostolic in a public place. And look down at the floor and not look at them because they don't go to your church. You are not fit to be used in the kingdom of God. If you walk into restaurants and see other apostolic people and you go around the long way. You are not fit to be used in the kingdom of God. I think it's time that we start making people with that kind of spirit uncomfortable. And when they don't want to talk to you, you ought to walk right up to their table and say, Lord bless you folks. I believe I know who your pastor is. I believe I know where you go to church. You know what? If somebody wants to go to hell over me, that's their prerogative. But I'm not going to hell over them. People don't like that. They got a problem with somebody else besides me. Because that right there is in this book. Uh Uh-oh. Said they need to be a lover of hospitality. Now some folks take this just a little bit out of context right here. A lover of good men. Some women don't even care if it's another woman's man as long as he's a good man. Well, the word said. I wish y'all quiet down back here in the choir. You're killing me tonight. Sober. Just. Holy. Temperate. I'm going to teach to you where, where we're living right now as a nation. I know this is, I can't speak for the whole world, but let me talk to you as an American pastor right now. All of this stuff that's been happening in the name of social injustice and the hate and the riots and all this crazy stuff that's going on in the world right now. Do you understand that Paul said to Titus, if these men get involved in that kind of stuff, they don't deserve to be used in the church. Read it for yourself. It's not my words, it's his. He said they need to be just. In other words, they need to love justice. If you're sowing seeds into hatred, well, I never open my mouth. You don't have to. You just turn your phone on. We need to be careful not only what we post, but what we like. Well, holy, temperate. Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he sees it should be interpreted. This is a great chapter. He said, Titus, if you're going to be releasing these people in the church to work, They need to hold to sound doctrine the way that I taught them. Do you understand how how powerful and weighty the matter is? 
when a man of God is willing to open up his mouth and say, I don't care if it's a man or an angel. If they preach anything else other than what we have preached unto you. Y'all going to preach that? You, you feel like coming? What would he say? Because I don't, I don't want to offend nobody now. He said, if they, I don't care if it's an angel. If they preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now, why in the world would you want to yoke yourself up with a precursed ministry? Well, they said I could do that and still sing in their choir. Well, they probably did. They said I could do that and teach Sunday school. They probably did. But you just yoked yourself up with a cursed ministry. Because everything in that church flows from the leadership down. And if that man's not willing to preach the truth without fear or favor of men, you just yoked yourself up with a fickle. You can always find somebody that will preach an easier way. But what I want to know is not an easier way. I want to know if it's the way. I don't care about a way. I want to know about the way. Because we hear about the way, and then when we hear about a way, it said there is a way which seemeth right to a man. But the end thereof is destruction. I don't want to yoke myself up with somebody that will ordain elders just because they're kind and charismatic and got everything they need for church growth. Absolutely not. I want them to be godly people. Oh, my, my. Now, this part right here you don't hear dealt with a whole lot, so let Pastor deal with it. I'm going to get where I'm going. He said they need to be faithful to the word as they've been taught. For what reason, though? I've had people say to me before, Bishop, I'm just not a Bible study teacher. I can't do it. It's not my personality. Let me tell you what Paul said. This is, he's telling Titus, this is what I need you to do. If you're going to establish leaders in the church that are elders. He said, hold fast the faithful word as he had been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine. This is crazy. To exhort and to convince. You got to be smooth sometimes. Not everybody has to be slick to exhort. But you got to be pretty smooth to convince. Because you've got to be able to convince somebody when they think they're saved. That that's not all God has for them. We're not saying you don't have a relationship. But this is not all God has for you. Well, this is what my grandparents taught. And you got to be smooth enough right here to convince them that you're not putting their grandfolks in hell. You're going to say, well, listen. Your grandmother chose what she chose. Your grandfather chose what he chose. We're going to let God deal with them and let God be God. But let me talk to you about you because God didn't send me to your grandmother, but God sent me to you. And I want to sit down with you right here and tell you that before we leave this table, I need you to be convinced that we believe in one God. We believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We believe in one God and Father of all who is above all through all. And in you all, we believe what Jesus said. That except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot see or inherit the kingdom. We don't believe that you can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and repeat after me and say this prayer. You did not just receive Jesus. You just received a creed. He said, I, I need you to hold fast to the word. What's the point of this? Why is it the way that they've been taught? So that they're all speaking the same thing. He said, I can't have this guy with his little personality saying, I'm going to put my spin on it. And this guy putting his spin. No, 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 no. He said, I need you to do it the way that you've been taught. And that, what this leads me to believe now, I'm. You can say I'm reading into it, but what that leads me to believe is that the way it was delivered to them is good enough to exhort and to convince. 
This word as it's written is good enough to exhort and to convince. Now, if you're an MLM, multi-level marketing, if you're selling, I'm not against it, I've done it, I think it's good. If you're an MLM, you need to come up with new ways to exhort and convince. If you're in the B-I-B-L-E, you don't. You need to be able to love it, to exhort it. Well, pastor, I just feel like we need to be more creative. Creativity is a good thing. But I think sometimes our creativity must just make God sick. Because we're saying that the way he created it is not good enough. We need to recreate it. Do you believe that the woman who received the Holy Ghost from the prison Saturday received the Holy Ghost uh, on Sunday? Rather, she received the Holy Ghost because when she got there, they were afraid that an altar call, if somebody speaks in tongues, we may offend one of our visitors. (laughs) Why in the world... Can I just slow down for just a second and tell you folks that when somebody walks in this church, they've already heard about us. I mean, if they were just looking for somewhere to go get donuts and coffee, well, never mind. They've heard about us. And sometimes I think that what we're afraid to do and be in front of them is why they came. I mean, they've already heard that these morons run around the building. I met, I met a, a man that he and I became friends. I met him on vacation. And we became friends very quickly. And he was a backslider. And... Uh, had gotten involved in, in uh, the music world, playing in Nashville, and his life was a mess, and he ended up meeting this, this girl, and they got married, and the first apostolic church he took her to after they married was Brother Holmes Church in Little Rock. And he said, they're sitting there in church, worship people's worshiping, and Sister Kelly, he said, this man right in front of them got up and took off running. And his wife looked over at him and said, what's he running from? (laughs) I guess she thought maybe it would be a good time for her to take off too if it was that scary. (laughs) They used to call us holy rollers, but now our suits are too nice. Oh, my, my. It was a normal thing on Mondays around Pentecostal churches that at any given time you could get some bobby pins hung up in the vacuum. (laughs) We've blown up some good vacuums in this church. But I'm afraid if we're not careful, the further we go, the more careful we try to be. That in our fraudulent way, we're going to expose people to a fake Pentecost. I, I believe everything needs to be in order. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I don't know that there's very many in here. How many of you were with us on the youth choir tour trip when the guy did backflips across the front of the church in Ohio? You were there, Sarah? Anybody else? I know Elvis wasn't there. He'd be in the floor right now thinking about it. We were up on the platform singing, and this joker... He, I mean, I'm sure it was powerful, whatever we were singing. He starts doing backflips across the front of the church. I was a little thrown off. So I'm just saying, like, if you do that, and what, what do they call that thing where they parkour? Is that what they call it? Park, parkour, where you can jump from one building to the other. Like, if people start jumping over pews, I'm probably going to be like, hey, bro, you need to chill a little bit. But I'm just saying. There's a, there's a difference in, in, in doing parkour in the church and realizing God's been so good to you that you just can't sit still. And when people walk up in FPC, I, I don't want them to be surprised that we're not what they were expecting. Right. 
I want them to walk up in here and say, everything I've ever heard about these people is crazy. I want them to leave this house saying, I'll never do that. I love it when, when people say that. I've got them hooked. When I hear them say, I'll never run like that. I'll never dance like that. I'll never speak in tongues like that. I say, go get them, Jesus, because I know he's working on something inside them. Say, There's a chance that one of these days I'm going to be a tongue talker just like that. Why are you doing that? Well, because, verse 10, he said, there's many. That's unruly. They're vain talkers. They're deceivers. Especially they of the circumcision. I don't have time to stay here for a long time. He said, these, these people, They've already, they've already been in the way. They've already got a lot of knowledge. They already have a lot of understanding. You need to be very, very careful as you work through this. Now, verse 11, if I got up and preached just like this, I wonder how many people would still love pastor. I'm sure you would because you're precious people. But I, want you to know, I want you to notice how he said He said, their mouths have to be stopped. What? He said, these unruly people, their mouths have to be stopped. It has to happen. Their mouth has to be stopped. Who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Charlatans. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own. Said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. I hope y'all are ready for this. You still with me in verse 13? I'm not going to look up at all because I just want you to know I'm in the book. I think maybe my prescriptions. What's, what's that say right there? He said, this witness is true. Wherefore what? I ain't letting no preacher talk to me like that. You know why? Because people have abused it. People have abused power. But you'll know somebody that's apostolic. Because they can talk to you by the book. Sharply rebuke you and you can receive it in the Holy Ghost. And know that they did not do it to insert themselves as Lord over God's heritage. But rather as a man of God who cares for your soul. And if you want to do something in the kingdom of God. Listen to pastor. Submission in your life begins at your pastor's no. This is what I'm feeling. And when you can be sharply rebuked and say, I don't feel that. We're going to pray about that together. And you're not offended in your spirit. That's when we know. My pastor didn't do that because he hates me. Is there anybody in here? I'm going to ask this before me so it doesn't look like I'm patting myself on the back. Is there anybody in here that's ever had a pastor in your life that told you not to do something? You went ahead and did it anyway, and you got to a place in your life, and you look back and say, oh, I wish so bad I would have listened. Well, there ain't no hands in here. I'm so glad for the times that my pastor and my God told me no. My friend, Brother Chapdelaine, came here and preached, and he, he made a statement that I've never forgot. Sometimes I call him. He says, dude, you're making fun of me. But I'll call him. Just, I'll just say this to him. I'll say, bro, you said it in our church. Sometimes God know is, God's no is protecting his yes. Think about that. His no right now is protecting his yes later. I can never get you where I need you to go if you don't understand the power of a rebuke. And the motive of the rebuke is revealed in the same passage. He said, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So if as a leader you're rebuking for any other motive other than being sure they're sound in the faith. Well, that was pretty good preaching, I'm going to be honest. 
The motive of the rebuke matters as much as the rebuke. I've seen men. I, I think they enjoy confrontation. I, I really do. I don't. I've had precious people come to me before and say, I, I went to a church, Pastor, where they said, if we're going to buy a new car, that I need to talk to my pastor. Or, is that how you feel? I know. No, thank you. If I'm going to change jobs, do I need to come have a meeting with you? No, thank you. Because I trust you to be children of God. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the same Holy Ghost I've got. If you need me to pray with you about it, I'll be glad to pray with you about it. But I believe that God gives you. Now, this may shock you. God gives you the same Holy Ghost that I've got. And at some point, you've got to get to the place where you work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Because if you don't, it leads to a, a type of toddler-like syndrome where for the rest of your walk with God, you're depending on your pastor to keep you saved. Man. Can you imagine... Me calling my mother and dad and saying, hey, I'm at the store right now. I just want you all to imagine this conversation. Mom, I'm at the store right now. I'm standing in line getting ready to check out. I got a gallon of milk. Can I buy this bubble gum? You know what my mom's going to say? Well, baby, I don't care. Why would you ask me? You've been spending your own money for a long time now. It's the same principle. When you got the Holy Ghost and you start growing in God, you don't need to ask your pastor, should I be praying every day? Look, you've been spending that Holy Ghost for a long time. And there's things that we know to do and things we don't know to do. And I think sometimes that what we're, not, what we're looking for, and I'm trying to hurry because i got to get where I'm going. But I think sometimes what we're looking for is somebody that will just agree with us to justify what we're feeling when we already know it's wrong. But if we can get our pastor to say, I think that'd be okay, then we'll go ahead and do it. And here's what I want to tell you. I thank you for trusting me. I hope this is not taken wrong at all. Please don't take this out of context because I'm in a hurry to get to where I'm going. But if God's already told you no, I don't care if I do tell you yes. I would be scared to death to go sit down with my pastor and ask him to contradict God. I'm not talking about decisions in life. I'm talking about things that are already spelled out in the word of God. If I know this does not please God... I don't need to sit down with my pastor and say, in my heart, I know this displeases God, but if my pastor will say it's okay, then I'm going to go ahead and do it. You don't have to talk to me when God already convicted you. Am I preaching to anybody right now? If you've already been convicted, that's the answer. There's nothing wrong with going to pastor and saying, Hey, Pastor, I felt like God convicted me about this. Is this okay? Because I'm going to pray with you. But if you can see right here that it's not right, please do, Pastor and Bishop, a favor. Don't, don't ask us to disagree with the book. Because then I'm going to stand before God. You're going to stand before him for what he told you. I'm going to stand before God for what I told you. Woo-wee. I need the preaching police to come in here and bail me out. What's all this that we're talking about right now? All this that we're talking about right now is one chapter of instruction that if you're looking for people to be used in the kingdom of God, Titus, this is what you look for. And then we move on to the, to the second chapter. We move on to the second chapter. And he starts urging Titus to tell them, listen, there's some works that you need to do. 
There are some works that you need to encourage the people of God to continue to do. Works are vitally important for them to continue in works. It is so important for you to understand that you need to continue in works. But then he busts this out. And he says to them, he said in in the third chapter, he said, listen, you need words. It needs to happen. But you need to be reminded three and five. He said, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy that God saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. You need works. But you need regeneration and you need renewing. Your works are not going to be your salvation. But what I get from this is your works, they're not going to save you. But they may be the thing that keeps you saved. If your works can keep you constantly feeling that pull of the Spirit. Wash me, Lord. Regenerate me, Lord. Renew me, Lord. Is what we need. So let me hurry up and get back to where we're in the the second chapter. I've got to hurry. I've already outstayed my welcome. Chapter 2, he said, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. This is so awesome. I I really could just read this to you. I hope you have been. Verse 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine. Have y'all read this? Teachers of teachers of what do, you, what do you mean? Well, he said, teach the young women that they can teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. They need to teach this in the church. He said they need to be discreet, chaste, keepers of their home, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of what? I love this language because if you look, if you look, of course, it's, it's pretty plain in the English, but if you look at this, he said it needs to be a pattern of good works. Not something you did Sunday night because everybody was around. We need to be making patterns, habits, pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Oh, if I had time, I was walking here praying tonight thinking about that sincerity. That word is huge. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed. (laughs) Oh, I wish I had time to preach that. Having no evil thing to say of you. Live your life in such a way that when people look at you, they got nothing to say. Folks, I'm against people blasting people. I'm against, I'm against all of that. But I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to live your life without folks being contrary. It's not going to happen. But if people continue to say the same thing about you, there's a reason. There's a source. If you're always flirting with other people's wives and people call you a flirt, there's a reason. Well, I've been faithful with my wife. I hadn't cheated on my wife. I think we need to get back to clearly defining some things. Just because you didn't jump in the sack with somebody don't mean you hadn't been faithful. Or don't mean you have been faithful. Let me be sure that's crystal clear. Because I'm just telling you right now, I know my wife pretty good. And I'm not, she's not going to have to find out that I was with another woman. She married a man of integrity they said, I'm not going to counsel women by myself. If my wife's not around, I'm going to be talking to some, some lady. I'm going to talk to her in front of the whole church on the platform where we can talk discreetly and quietly. But everybody's going to see where we're at. He said, don't set yourself up for a place that people can say things about you. Man, I wish I had time to dig into that. 
He goes on into some other things. That I'm going I'm to hurry very quickly. Eight, verse 9, he said, be obedient to your master's servants. In other words, you need to treat your boss right. Please him well in all things, not answering again. For the grace of God, verse 11, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You know, this is a, this is a verse, Dr. Lang, that I've struggled with before. Because it's kind of contentious in the beginning phases of, of light doctrine. And third destination doctrines and things like that. When people say, well, what about so-and-so that's never heard? Now, you don't have to believe. But Paul told Titus, he said, the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Has anybody in here ever found the, the chapter where somebody witnessed to Abraham and told him to come out? No. The grace of God appeared to Abraham and told him to come out. So for all the people in foreign countries, people, oh, Pastor, what about them islands way out there that nobody's ever preached to? What about those people? What if they haven't been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost? What are we going to do with them? Be careful with your doctrine. Don't start making exceptions. For people that you know nothing about because God may have sent a preacher to that island 500 years ago to preach truth and they rejected it. That was free. I've been here too long. You look, you look like you agreed with that. I said, I've been here too long, my dad went. About done. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, our great, of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Let me talk to you in closing about this right here very quickly. The hardest place for a pastor to be is to try to convince somebody that they need to be saved or stay saved that doesn't want to be saved. Did I, did I say that slow enough that it, it's resounding tonight? It's a difficult place for a pastor to be. In my opinion, it's the most difficult place that I, that I lead from. To try to continually convince somebody of the need of their salvation when they don't want it. Bishop L.A. Parent used to sign young preachers' Bibles, and this is what he would sign in every single Bible. If you've ever seen one, you know. But he would sign this thing. There was a season that he would sign this in every Bible. He would sign it for young preachers and he would say, always be a man. When in trouble, plead the blood. And if you have to carry them, they weren't going to make it anyway. And then he would sign his name. Think about it. Always be a man. When in trouble, plead the blood. And if you have to carry them, they weren't going to make it anyway. I want all of you to be saved, but please listen to pastor. Please hear my heart. Know my heart very well tonight. If you don't want this, I'll never preach good enough to convince you you need it. That's why there's few there be that find this. I believe that. I believe it's a narrow way and few there be that find it. I'm not making excuses for churches that don't grow. But I'm saying to you, the problem is not us getting the message to the world. Think about how much time you spend in the church trying to convince carnal people that that's not carnality and it's not good for you. Let's stand. This, this little Bible study right here probably needs to be dealt with in a, in a greater depth. If you did nothing but just do expository teaching of Titus, it'd take you a while. But the principle of this verse, these two verses that were selected this week in our devotion, is pretty much simply this, if I could give you a summation. If you're having a problem staying spiritual, it's because you stopped looking for that hope. You cannot live a life and profess with your mouth that you're looking for heaven, but constantly entertaining hell. You, you, you cannot come in on Sunday and pray big, bold prayers and cast out things that you embraced all week. 
Am I helping anybody? I know I've been here. Please, please don't turn me off. I've been here a long time. You cannot cast things off of other people that you've embraced. That's why it's dangerous. You need to know the source of the things that you're watching. Even if it seems innocent and it feels innocent, you do not know what you're inviting in your home. I'm praying that God would help us. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, I'm hoping that God will transition us. And and I'm afraid, Brother Haney, that a lot of us maybe have missed something that God was trying to do during this season. This stuff that's going on in the earth and it's still here, but it's kind of... Now we're all just used to it. You you understand what I'm saying? Seven months ago, we're like, oh, God, if I step outside, I'm going to die. I better be sure I'm right with God. And now we know that 99.999% of people that that get this disease, they live with, they're fine. They go on about their way. We're like, "Mm, that's not that bad. I'm going to start doing my own thing again. What's God going to have to do to convince us that our eyes are to be on that blessed hope? Because i got a lot of folks right now that are placing a lot of bets, and forgive the, the, the language, the, the analogy, but they're placing a lot of bets on a vaccine. If it's a good one, then it is. If you take it, then take it. My point is, I'm not looking to the vaccine for my blessed hope. I'm looking to Jesus. I'm looking for the rapture. If we're not convinced that we need to live for God, then we're truly not convinced that there's going to be a rapture. It's a fable and a fairy tale to us. Because if we really believe there's a rapture, then you also have to believe that not everybody's going to make it in the rapture. And the people that don't make it in the rapture are the people that were fickle and quit looking for that blessed hope. So I want to make it. You got to be sound in your doctrine. More than theological expository. you got to understand the word of God. Get it in your soul. Brother Stephen was in my truck today, and, and I'm closing with this. He was in my truck today, and he was talking about some things. And we're just kind of talking about the lesson tonight. And I told him, I said, Brother Stephen, because of where we live, we don't really think about this. But I said, if you look at church history... You don't really have to look very hard to understand the aberration and the ways of of the doctrines of men. Because as soon as they came in and started taking Bibles out of people's homes, they didn't have enough word in their heart that they could survive without a book in their house. And so they just believe anything. That's why we have denominations today, believe it or not. We've got to get it off these pages in our hearts, get our eyes off this world and start looking at that blessed hope. If you believe it, say amen.